It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. The Natural Hat Trick with Luke Lipinski, Craig Morgan, and Jamie Eisner. Welcome into episode something of the Natural Hattrick Podcast alongside Craig Morgan. Natty is back. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> alongside robot Craig Morgan. Yeah. And Jamie Eisner. Yay for buffering. Oh, great. Jamie comes through loud and clear. I'm Luke Lipinski. This is an episode. We have. I, it's an episode in the 240s. I remember that much. I don't remember anything. Anything that happened pre-coronavirus it doesn't exist anymore. It's all gone. It feels like this. It feels like this hockey season, which could still we could still see a conclusion to here in a couple months. It feels like it ended longer ago than like the 2014 season ended. I, I can't remember anything that I did in, in the season. I, I think I remember flying back from Canada, but yeah, after that Winnipeg game. But that feels like a million years ago. You know, I was talking to somebody about this the other day. The weirdest thing is we knew something was going on, but after the Winnipeg game, it's not like any of us thought, all right, that's the last Coyotes game for a while. I mean, I remember leaving the studio that night and being like, okay, they have a game on Thursday at home against Vancouver. Yeah, because there was this weird, like, element uh, just in the world of you knew what was happening. You saw what was happening, you know, over in China. You saw what was happening in Italy. You kind of started to see what was happening on the East Coast, but it kind of felt like it was a still like push down the road problem. Like there was still the, uh, you know, it's, we know this is bad, but this is going to be bad in a few weeks. Uh, and then the stuff happened with Rudy Gobert and then in a very, in very short order and like a, in a 72 hour window, the entire sports world just came to a screeching halt or a pause as some might call it. Uh, and, and then all hell broke loose in the real world and the, more importantly than the sports world. But I don't know. I just, it, it's, it's weird. It feels like not to get, you know, I know this is an escape from it, so I don't want to get too deep into this, but it almost feels like any, anything that happened beforehand, any podcast you watch or listen to any shows you watch, they feel instantly antiquated if it happened and it was recorded before March. It really does. Except ours. You should go back and listen to ours because we had some good stuff in like December. Good recovery. That's when we peaked as a show. (laughs) Um, Okay, well. That's a scary thought. (laughs) That was our peak. Let's start with with the draft while I try and bring up listener questions. So how do you gentlemen feel about the possibility of the NHL draft still happening in late June, like it always does. Well, I'll start with, uh, by the way, calling people's attention to a piece that Corey Pronman wrote for the F today that really <laughs> lays out the pros and cons. It's pretty good, actually. And listen, the pros are, as you can imagine, a lot of them are re- revenue-driven. Uh, the, the networks would love to have this, to have the content. The NHL would love to have 
this sort of content. And the other thing that it, it allows is all of these draft prospects, it puts them on a normal schedule for development camps and all of that. So it doesn't, doesn't make things harder on those prospects, but there are clearly a lot of problems with it as, as a lot of people have outlined, uh, what are you doing with the lottery system? I really don't like the idea of just giving Detroit a major advantage in, in the lottery. Um, what are you doing in terms of trades that, that sometimes become outlets for teams to, you know, maybe un- unload a, a mid-level contract or something like that it might help them get under the cap. And, and certainly a lot of teams are going to be cash, uh, cap strapped at this point. So there, there are a lot of arguments on both sides of this right now. General managers are overwhelmingly against but it sounds like the league going to push for it. Well, I mean, general managers were against it in the NFL. I don't know if they were overwhelmingly against it, but they were against it at first and, and they got on board. I mean, I think that there is a certain, you know, it, it all seems not irrelevant, but it, it seems, you know, smaller in importance compared to what's going on in the rest of the world. But at the same time, if you're the NHL, you don't want to just completely disappear for six months, not as a business, if you can help it. And and it's not like having a draft is, poses a safety threat. So. No, I mean, I, I agree with that, but the, the, the difference with the NFL is they weren't in the middle of a season. So yeah. you had a lot of issues to sort out that there's a, a, it's not a fair comparison. I don't think. Well, I think what you're saying right there is the most important thing. They need to make a decision with what they're going to do on things. It can't be like, oh, we might play out the playoffs in four cities or we might want to play out the regular season if we have a chance. Like, I understand you can only you can only plan so much right now, but before you have a draft, you need to at least know if you come back, if that means just playoff teams, if it means 24 teams, if it means every team, which is a, a dumb idea. Just for simply, you can't have you can't have a draft lottery where the team that has the 11th worst record wins the draft lottery, and then three weeks later we're back to playing hockey, and they also make the playoffs. You know, you, you can't you you need to at least determine what hockey is going to look like when it comes back before you do a draft. Yeah, and look, you have to. We're going to have to all accept a certain level of imperfection. Uh, just to get through the situation, there there is not a perfect solution. There's not going to be a perfect solution, and to expect one that's going to satisfy everybody in all parties is just unrealistic. You have to do the best you can to get through this. Uh, I'm actually in favor of the plan if they're able to establish in, in advance of what the playoff structure looks like. And and to me, I think the fairest way to do it is to take even if you decide you're going to chop the playoffs down later on and maybe only do eight teams or four teams or whatever you you establish the 16 teams that are in playoff spots based on points percentage right now and then you choose the 15 teams that aren't are in the lottery and I understand you don't ideally want the the Red Wings to get this massive advantage but I actually don't have a problem with that idea because I think it is a I am more concerned about teams from the mid-level always, even before all this pandemic stuff, jumping into the top three than I'm worried about the worst team in hockey being guaranteed a top two pick. It's not ideal. Sure. I know you'd like it, but the point is, is the draft lottery was put in place to avoid intentional tanking for the number one pick. Detroit didn't know we were going to have a global pandemic before the season ended. So they weren't, I mean, they were tanking and they weren't playing well, but I don't feel like this is the same situation as we've seen in other leagues. The, the the thing to me is is keeping prospects on, on that same line, being able to establish the, a, some level of normalcy that doesn't incredibly impact the 2020-2021 season, 
I think is important. And if the, and look, if the worst case scenario of that is that the worst team in hockey gets guaranteed a top two pick, then that's the worst case scenario. It wasn't fair that the Penguins got a, got handed Sidney Crosby either. But Easy. the league moved on, didn't it? So I don't think that's the end of the world. If, if the worst thing that happens coming out of this, if they're able to, even if they're not able to play the rest of the season, if they don't have to push back the following season too much because they can cancel the All-Star game and do other things. And the worst thing that happens is, uh, is Lafreniere goes to Detroit. I think we'll all be okay. What is the logic, though, behind giving Detroit a skewed chance to get Lafreniere? Well, it's not well, the giving Detroit. Yeah, you don't want some of those teams jumping in, right? Like you were mentioning earlier, Jamie, you don't want some of those other teams being able to move up as far. I just, I think there's a, there's a probably a balance between the two. I don't want Detroit having a 100% guarantee of having one of the top two picks. I think that's unfair and it, it's going to be a one-off. And I get that a lot of things are one-off this season, but you don't have to make it absolute like that. There's, there's still a, there still needs to be a percentage chance that they drop a little farther. The other thing is, do we really think Detroit was tanking? I, mean, I think they were just truly no, horrible because they no, they're just terrible. So far back that, and I, look, you, I, I understand you can't change the rules every year. Like, oh, this team wasn't tanking, but we think this team was. But they were like, they were so far behind everybody and getting worse. There's no way Detroit was going to accidentally go on a 15 game winning streak to close out the year and all of a sudden have the second worst record. Like, they are just historically bad. To, to me, it's it's uh, yes. Ideally, you wouldn't want that, but I think it's it, it's no more unfair to guarantee them a top two pick than to guarantee that they have a a great chance of picking fourth, which is what the other system was going to be too. So, yeah. I mean, and the reality is, is you're given you're given a top pick to Ottawa or Detroit. So pick your poison. And to me, uh, Ottawa as an organization is way more troublesome in the way that they have acted over the last two years than the way Detroit's organization has. So. I, I get why some people are upset, but to me, I am I'm way more okay with Detroit getting a guaranteed top two pick than I am a team that is sitting above 500 getting a top two pick. I do think there is value to having the draft, though, and some of it's what Jamie just said. I mean, it's not the same. It's certainly not the same as football. It's not the same as baseball either, where they have the draft in the middle of the season every year because that's built into baseball. But you do need to be able to plan as if next season's going to happen on a normal schedule, even if it doesn't, because what happens if, if things do get better and, and the 2020-2021 season is able to go and, and start like normal and then you're not ready for it because you push the draft back to September or something? So I just don't – it feels like to me the cons of against having the draft in June are all fixable for the most part. And so that's, that's – I just think you need to, to find a way to do it. I'm really curious how, again, how teams are going to manage, you know, I, I know there are not a lot of major trades that are made at the draft, but there are some trades that are made at the draft, like I said, that would help teams, you know, you unload a, a player for a pick, that kind of stuff isn't going to happen now and you're not going to have that sort of, uh, th- those sorts of assets to deal when you're trying to get under the cap. I'm curious how they're going to manage that as well. Especially well, not knowing what the cap is. What the, what's the cap going right? to be? I, yeah, like, exactly. I, I don't think anybody knows. And I saw somebody, it was an agent, and of course it was, but like with this exceptional cap status or something where Kurt you can designate one player that doesn't count or whatever BS that was. But uh, I don't know. It, it's interesting because it, there's, so much, there's so much unknown and there's so much, it's so, such an unprecedented territory, but – you know, are you basically just having a draft to have a draft and not going to trade picks or player, or I guess you could trade picks for picks, but not going to trade players. Like I, it, it's, I don't get, I don't know if there's a great solution to it. I just think th- 
for these leagues, I think mitigating having two back-to-back sketchy, for lack of a better phrase, seasons, I think has to be the goal. How, how can you play the 2020-21 season as smoothly as possible? It's not going to be easy because I don't even think, I mean, even if you started that season on time next year, I'm not sure you're starting that season on time with fans in stadiums. You're not starting that team with any of the California teams, most likely. So, I mean, there are still a lot of logistical hurdles that you have to overcome there, but I think maintaining some sense of potential normalcy will be important. So you're not then trying to scramble six months from now and fit all of this in and the start of the season and just trying to figure it all out. Well, and that is maybe way this starts on time. I really don't. I don't see any scenario under which the next season starts on time unless this one is canceled. But that condensed schedule they're talking about, I know that seems that that's getting brushed over a lot. And that that's a crazy schedule they're proposing, especially with the Olympics looming after it and a lot of players wanting to play in that. That's going to be just an absolutely grueling schedule for these players. And I'm really curious how that's going to play out with the PA as well. There, there is, and Craig sort of brought this up, and I mean, it's been brought up before, but you do have to look at the fact that, you know, let's say Chicago trades Duncan Keith to the Oilers or something at the draft, and then all of a sudden we are playing out the rest of the season in the middle of July, and Duncan Keith's just on the Oilers now, and so all of a sudden they were able to trade for a guy for the playoff push well no, after the trade deadline. There's no way if they would do that, they would it would oh, be okay. effective before next season. I mean, so, it's kind yeah, of like where they they let non playoff teams trade, you know, where you can trade for their rights, but you don't you don't actually like get to use them. Um, yeah, but that's what but, I'm saying. So then, so the then the more realistic but still awkward situation is that Duncan Keith's playing for the Blackhawks, knowing he's really on the Oilers, and so that's why I just think. Like what's what is the date as far as having a season next? Have finishing this season? It's got to be early July anyway, doesn't it? Are you talking about the completion of the playoffs or just the the season? Just just knowing that, like, okay, we're going to complete the playoffs. When do we have to start doing that by? Oh yeah, you got to start by July, I would think. So yeah, you should it, you should know all that by the end of June when the draft would have been anyway. Yeah, and you should again, and you should have an abridged postseason. Like they're not, they're, they can't play any more regular season games. They don't have time. They're not That's going out to the have window. time. This isn't going to get better. Oh, and by the way, this is all fun and games. I know, but I just there's no I, way. Absurd. There's no way. Yeah, how do you how do you bring players back from Europe? We've we've talked about all this before, I know, but how do you bring LA Kings players back from Europe? How do you work out their work visas and say, here's a three week train, play five games, and then yeah, go back on your merry way? That's that simply can't happen. Well, and it won't. I mean, there there are. Uh, by the way, they t- uh, uh, reports out of Canada are they don't consider athletics essential. That you're they're not going to let you come over the border with work visas right now. Right. So where are you playing? You're gonna you're gonna sequester in certain locations, but. I just, to, to me, are players going to want to do that? Because a lot of baseball players balked very hard at that idea that MLB proposed of whether it was Arizona or, or a couple other places to go, uh, basically sequestering for the season uh, to go sure. play somewhere. Now, it's a little bit different when you're talking a couple months versus an entire baseball season. But th- there's a lot of that that goes into it too. And, yeah, uh, and, 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 and all of this, all of this is nice up until the point a player gets sick again, then what happens? That's the thing that I don't think enough people are talking about in all of these sports is uh, even if, if the curse starts to fight, all this other stuff is great. But when they come back and inevitably a player tests positive, then what are you going to do? Are you shutting it all down again? And if you shut it all down again, the season is over, period, end of story. Yeah. I guess my original point is just you need to know this stuff by the by the time you do the draft. And if the day where you have to 
get going with the rest of this season is July 3rd or whatever anyway, and the draft is going to be on June 26th or whatever. I, I mean, I think everything is so unpredictable right now, but when we're talking about a matter of days, I think they would have a good enough feel for, yeah, we can go ahead with the draft because we're not going to be able to, to finish out the season anyway, or we can finish it out, but it's only going to be eight teams or whatever. I just think that's the the one thing you maybe can control in this situation, but it, I mean, you guys are right. I mean, you, you can't get baseball players to commit to isolating for four months or whatever. And, and really at this point, what, I don't know, 50% of the teams in major league baseball would have a chance at winning the world series. Cause it's going to be such a weird season anyway, but you're not going to be able to bring back the Detroit Red Wings for two games. Just so the St. Louis blues reached their required number of regular season games. That's, that is insane. There's no way that can happen. And I know this was brought up. It was brought up to Brian Burke the other day, and he's like, "Well, if the players want to get paid, they'll do it. So they'll do it." No, I don't think they will. I, would you come back for two games or fly across the globe in this situation to play two completely meaningless games? It's tough enough to get guys to fly across to play in the Stanley Cup playoffs. No, I wouldn't do it for ten or twelve. Even if they said, "Yeah, we're going to finish the regular season," I'd say, "No, there's no point." If I'm on the LA Kings, are you kidding me? No, sir. And the other concern that we talk about dollars are the way players are paid for the postseason. Like this is, it's not the same way they're paid for the regular season. And there, and I would not be surprised if there are a few players, particularly that may have been had their communities or their families extremely adversely affected by the, by this illness saying, you know what? I'm not playing for a share because I don't know what my share is going to be because there ain't going to be any fans in the stands. And I don't know what the TV deals are going to be specifically for this. So I could see some players saying, you know what? I don't care. And look, if they're low on the totem pole, they're probably going to have to play. But are you, if, you know, for example, if Alex Ovechkin says, I don't feel comfortable playing, capitals aren't going to cut him. So then what do you do? Yeah, that, that yeah, that's, that's a great point. It's, it's once a big name, it's, it's one thing if a guy that is like a fringe fourth liner is like, oh, I don't want to do it. Okay, well, you're not going to hold up the whole league and, and the chance to award the Stanley Cup for that one guy. But the second a star like Ovechkin or McDavid or somebody's like, eh, I'm not comfortable with this. Well, then what? there's going to be such a big asterisk next to that Stanley Cup winner at that point that why would you even go through with it? Especially because it's not going to be just one guy that's against it. So, I mean, I'm still holding out hope this could happen. I know it sounds like we're all just writing the season off. I'm not writing it off, but I just think... We're talking about a draft at the end of June. That's still six, seven weeks away. But at that point, they, they obviously need to have their plan in place because you don't want to mess with next season. You want to avoid that as much as you possibly can. The other thing is, like I'm all for bringing baseball back with no fans and, and really any of the sports if that's the only way to do it. But And if that's the way to bring back hockey, and I think it will be ultimately at first, you need to do it. Hockey, to me, is the sport that's going to look the strangest without fans, especially if we're talking about playoff hockey, because the crowd is such a big part of the playoff hockey presentation on TV and radio. Well, that and look, there's there are a lot of revenue concerns here. Baseball, the, they make their money from TV deals. I mean, that that's why with all this funny money you see going around, like the Miami Marlins don't lose money like everybody pretends that they do. They make mil- tens of millions of dollars because of their TV deals and them just deciding to actively not play, you know, pay any good players. Uh, but there are the NHL doesn't have that luxury. There are a lot of teams in the NHL that are closer to that, like kind of hanging on or just over the hanging on line under normal circumstances that that effect of revenue with costs going back to being the same or maybe more, it's going to be an issue. And I don't know how you tackle that. I don't know how you tackle that for the, the Ottawa's, the, the, you know, the Arizona's, they have a new owner or some of these other, the Florida's like, I don't know how you tackle this issue where, 
they're going to essentially, most of these teams are going to be losing money to play. How is the league prepared to handle that? Are individual owners saying, I don't know if I want to come back under these circumstances because I'm going to lose money just by turning on the lights? How does that affect all of this? I don't have the answer to that. I don't know, but it's something that they have to consider that it's something baseball doesn't really have. Like, trust me, they want the money. Don't get me wrong, but none of them are going to be losing money or, or going broke because there are no fans in the stands because of the way their specific sport is structured in terms of revenue. But that's going to be a huge difference for some of these NBA teams and the NHL teams. I haven't really seen much of a pushback and Craig, correct me if I'm wrong, but I haven't seen much of a push from fans that are like, no, I don't What's the point of, of, of playing these games if there's not going to be fans in the stands? I, I do feel like most people understand, you know, that that might, that probably is going to be the first way we get sports back is you're just going to have to adjust to watching the game on TV or listening on the radio and not hearing a crowd or seeing a crowd. That's, that's just the reality we're looking at for now. Unfortunate as it is, as much as it sucks, like Jamie said, there's not really, there is no perfect solution right now. You just have to try and find any solutions. Yeah, I haven't seen any pushback on that, but there, there are certainly opinions all over the map on whether it should actually happen. And there are a lot of people who are just saying, just cancel the season already. Stop with this madness. There are so many issues to be worked out. It's absurd that we're even thinking about that. And I, I think that's fair. And we haven't really even, we, we haven't decided to dive yet into the uh, testing issues that we're facing as well. And Jamie touched on it, like what happens if somebody tests positive? What do you do? You have to shut it all down at that point. But how are you going to be testing these players regularly? Are you going to be testing them every couple of days to make sure that they're negative? And how does that look when we don't have tests to go around the country right now? What are we at? Just past 1% of the population that's been tested? What are yeah. those optics going to look like when you're saying, oh, look at these privileged athletes getting tested every few days. We don't have enough tests to go around. I mean, Arizona's rolling this thing out, obviously, that you guys just saw. It's, it's absurd the fraction of people that have been tested thus far. So you, you can extrapolate from that that the numbers, the case numbers that we're reporting across the country are woefully low from what, what the actual number is. So how, how do you manage all that as well? They're not. And this is why, this is why I'm looking at what – the closest comp that we can make for hockey is what the NBA is trying to do. Uh, and they finally said they're just not going to test asymptomatic players. And there's, I think, two big reasons for that. One, obviously, the optics of having fewer tests. Uh, the other ones, if you don't test players, they're less likely to test positive. So that's, that's the other side of that optics coin, too. Um, uh, I think someone else is espousing that idea as well. Yeah, like, if, so, <laughs> like, I don't know how they're going. That's, that's the problem. There's such a logistical nightmare. And, and look, nobody, we all make a living covering sports. I mean, this is, we, we like it. It's our recreational activity. It's our professional activity. But the reality of the situation is, is we shouldn't be, athletes shouldn't have any higher priority than anybody else when it comes to the line for testing. Now, it's how the world works. I understand that. Uh, there's a reason why all these NBA guys got tested in, in like 16 seconds when nobody else in the country could. Uh, but it's, the optics are going to be bad. And the reality is, is again, nobody is talking about what's going to happen because you're talking about hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of players from different parts of the country, different parts of the world, all converging on one spot. Statistically speaking, it's likely that somebody is going to test positive for COVID-19. That, that it just that statistically speaking. And then what do you do from there? And does it even need to be your league? What happens if it's another NBA player and they shut down again? Does hockey decide to come back? Does baseball decide to come back? Do they all shut down again like they did last time? 
do you do you do you think there's a sentiment that they can sequester these these play- well i mean you're still going to have older people around them you're still going to have at risk groups when whether you're talking about executives i, I don't know what their thinking is because it, have you heard anyone say, I guess, definitively in any of the sports that if one person tests positive, yeah, we're going to have to shut it all down again? Or do they, no. do they think they can manage it in-house because they have these teams sequestered and they're not a net population? Part of the they, baseball that, plan was even if somebody tests positive, as long as they're not like basically asymptomatic or whatever, as long as, that's, as long as they don't see them as a risk, baseball, one of their many plans they've rolled out, they were just going to keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Which is easier said than done because again, we see, I mean, how many times have, I mean, you guys have covered sports for a lot longer than I have. How many times do you see flus go around locker rooms? Yeah. In all sports. How many, yeah, that's a great point. I was thinking about that the other day. Like how many times have we heard like, Oh yeah, you know, the, the blue jackets are coming into this playoff series, but eight of the guys have the flu happens all the time. And and as an athlete, you're taught, you got to fight through that. And it's the flu, but get through it because you, this is your one chance to, to win this playoff round or whatever. This is different. This is not just the flu. But no, no, no. But it's not just the flu. But what I'm saying is if that's what happens with the, the seasonal flu that we see, again, every season happens every year yeah. in, in all of these leagues. So I think last year, like Dallas Cowboys were dealing with that issue. That's going to, same thing is going to happen if guys start to get sick, especially again, if they're sequestered, they're still in a, still in a locker room together. They're still sharing you know, a, a workspace and showers and the field and the, the gyms and all the other stuff. So it's not like one player is going to get it and that's, it. oh, okay, we will just, we'll just, that's it. It's at the end of the world. Like you're going to see it start to spread because, and, and look, even if, if, you know, athletes in peak condition in the mid twenties aren't the, the target demo for the highest level of concern, we are seeing people in their twenties and thirties die. And also, and there's some athletes you know, with health issues like diabetics, Max, Max, Domi is diabetic, right? Yeah. And you don't want to see that. And you don't want to see people get sick, even if it doesn't result in them going to the hospital. You don't want to see people be violently ill. So, I mean, there's just so many things that I don't think these leagues are really, truly thought through yet that are going to be obstacles that they're going to have to deal with, even when they figure out all the scheduling stuff. Jamie, I don't want to alarm you, but a seemingly large animal walked behind your chair while you were talking. Uh, that that is my dog. That oh, okay. is dog. Her name is Cinnamon. All right. Well, just was, she she's enjoying everybody being home. Is she named after Brendan Shinman? Uh yes. Oh, okay. Yes. Good. Good. Um all right, do how, what else do we want to talk about here before we get into listener questions? Do we want to talk about that foresight plan if if this is actually going to happen? Just sort of the where the the top candidates are as far as actually if if the NHL goes with a a foresight plan here to play out the rest of the season or the playoffs or whatever, where are those sites going to be? Well, there's, we, we wrote a story on this recently, uh, and there, there are a number of league candidates. There, first of all, there are, there are a number of criteria that have to be looked at to meet the NHL's needs. Of course, the testing is one of those. There has to be the availability of testing. You can't be in a hot spot for COVID-19. But then there has to be uh, suitable hotel space. And per the CABA, those have to be four- and five-star hotels within proximity of the arena, you have to have a lot of practice arena and locker room availability. So these are a number of the issues that they're looking at. Of course, you look at food sourcing, you're looking at a number of other things as well, but those are the major things that they outlined when, when they were citing uh, these potential hub sites. And there are a few cities that, that have risen to the top that the NHL is actually already exploring. Um, Everyone's heard Edmonton for, for the Coyotes division because they have the practice ring attached there are a lot of hotels right there, a lot of rinks in the area, but there are a number of other cities that have risen to the, the top. Columbus, 
Minneapolis that, that have all the things that they need. We all agree that if you're going to do this, if, if things do work out and they can do it straight to the playoffs is the only way to go. Correct. That seems to be sort of the, the feeling among the three of us, I think among most people. I, I think that's all that they can do. I mean, we, we just talked about all the problems with the regular season, but I hope if they, again, we've said this before as well. I hope if they do go to a playoff format, I hope they expand it. Even if you have to shorten the earlier rounds, I'm fine with that, to be honest. But I think that they should try something out of the box. Like what? Like 24 teams. I, I, I outlined this uh, the last time or a couple of times ago, I, I think on our, the last podcast, maybe that when we talked, I think I outlined what uh, something that would work is 24 teams. You have 12 teams in each conference that have a points percentage of 500 or better. So it's a, a nice even cutoff. And then you've got seven teams below it. So I think that's one format that could work. Again, though, I, I, as Jamie talked about earlier, you can't have extended rounds for each, each round of the playoffs if you're letting 24 teams in. You probably need to shorten at least the first two rounds, maybe the first three rounds, um, whether it's best two of three or as you advance three of five. You need to find a way to maybe still, well, definitely to squeeze the schedule in in a reasonable amount of time still. And that's, that is the format, too. I mean, that would get the Coyotes in, and I believe they'd be playing the Jets in the first round. But, yeah, yeah I think if you do that, and that's, that's the option I've liked the most all along, again, it gets the Coyotes in, but it's more so for, like, that, that just clump of teams over in the East with the Islanders and the Hurricanes and the, the Blue Jackets and everything and all these teams that are within a point of each other and some have played two or three more games than other ones. It probably is the fairest way because it cuts out the regular season and still puts everybody in that was in the playoff race. Craig, Craig and I were talking about this a week or two ago. There was this perception, and I had it too, where the, of the Coyotes down the stretch were just sort of falling apart. But Craig did, you know, you look at the research, they were generating a lot of chances. They were actually playing a lot better right before the, the pause. And it's like, can you just tell the Coyotes, and I'm sure there are other teams like this, uh, you wouldn't have won enough games in the last 12. So even though you were close, we're just going to say you're not in. I, I don't know that you can do that. Right. And, and yeah, it, and that's true. They, they were, it felt, it felt like puck luck at that point with, with, for turning around for them. And then they, you look at the fact that they had eight of their final 12 games where they were actually playing well. Yeah. I, I don't know that you can comfortably say, yeah, you're out of it unless uh, everything's imperfect right now. So maybe you have to go to the traditional format, but again, I think there's an opportunity here for the NHL to grab the fan base or, or bring in fa- people that aren't fans at this point by doing something a little unusual, a little outside the box that can generate some excitement. Anything else as far as I, I, I'm, I'm sort of fascinated by the concept of this impacting next season because, and I know the NHL has said this, they want to, they really want to make that a priority that the 2020, 2021 season is impacted as minimally as possible. But, what can you do to make sure that that's the case? You know, if you're going to play, if you really want to award the Stanley Cup this year, you can't start next season in October. You just can't. No. and, the, no, and I agree with that. Go ahead, Jamie. Yeah, I, I don't – I guess, I mean, the way you at least affect – one, you, you instantly – you scrap the All-Star game, All-Star week in that. You're probably scrapping some bye weeks or the bye week system that you were using. The, the, the problem is, is in a heavy contact sport – you know, baseball had a little bit easier solution, you know, going double, doing double headers again, you know, seven inning double headers type of thing is, is an easy way to compact the schedule. You know, you can't, you only can play so many back to backs 
and reasonably expect these athletes to be healthy. Um, but I, you eliminate the all-star game, you eliminate bye weeks, and you, you, you kind of and push back the season just a little bit. You're going to have to make some adjustments. This is not, they're not going to be able to fix this all in one season. But uh, I'm very curious to see how they do it. But all-star game, bye weeks, and then maybe push back. You know, maybe even next year you said, you know what, maybe we're, the first two rounds are best of five even and say we're saving the conference, conference finals and Stanley Cup finals are best of seven. You know, it, yeah. it all is going to depend on when you start. And if you have, I mean, if you can't, if you're able to cancel the season, which I don't think any of us want, then you can probably start semi-ish on time, depending on how the world is at that point. But I'm curious to see. The, it's going to affect more than just, might even affect more than just next season. They Jamie, are determined to get an 82-game season in, and you understand that from a revenue standpoint. And the other idea behind pushing this all back is that they really don't want to go into next season without fans. So if you have to push it into December, you do that so that you can have the fans in the buildings. But you're still talking about a crazy condensed schedule uh, and then the Olympics rolling around right after it. So it's a really difficult thing to manage. Uh, players already complain about the schedule being too condensed and that leading to injuries. Well, this is certainly going to do that. So another talking point for the NHL and the NHLPA. Are you guys going to be okay with no All-Star game next year? Oh, I don't know how. I, I wonder if they, I do wonder one last point uh, before we get to listener questions and stuff, but I do wonder if they will have at least expanded rosters for next season. Uh, I think adding two or three players to the roster to allow for more rest days. Um, you know, I, I know there might be some teams that don't want to rest their stars and I get that, but at least giving them the opportunity and a few more guys to get at least NHL level paychecks. But uh, I think that would be the, uh, the most interesting one for me. Are you saying this is our chance to collectively try out for the NHL? Yes. Okay. All right. Before we get to listener questions, though, Craig, what exactly are the Blackhawks doing? Oh. Well, <laughs> they got rid of the wrong guy right now, although I, I can see a need for sweeping changes within that organization. So there, there are a couple schools of thought here. They're, they're going to replace John McDonough, who was just fired. Surprisingly to some people, not surprisingly to me, because I don't think that relationship with the Wurzes was very good anyway. Um, there's a thought that they're going to, to bring in a guy who's just going to take over president of hockey operations duties and replacement on it, but that still leaves the business side. And what I'm hearing is they're probably going to promote from within first to handle the business side. And I don't think it's going to be Danny Wurtz because he's got too much else on his plate with all the other businesses. But after that, once they bring in a business guy, I need someone in that president of hockey operations position overseeing Stan Bowman. And I'm really curious who they're going to look at. I, I think they want a younger voice in there. I think they want a more progressive voice in there. So when you see guys like Mike Gillis stimp, stumping for himself to get the job subtly, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think he's who they're looking at. I do wonder about some, some other of the candidates out there. Uh, Eddie Olchek clearly is a guy who's, been around that organization, but does he have the requisite experience? Does he understand analytics? Does he buy into all that to be the guy that they want in that position? I don't know. I don't, I don't see a perfect fit, to be honest, on the market right now. So I'm really curious how this is all going to shake out for them. Maybe they just have Stan Bowman make every decision going forward because that he's, he seems the one guy that's just invincible there. It's crazy. I don't know that he is invincible at this point. I think this is a sign that they understand something's wrong here. And I know Scotty has a lot of sway in there, but if you get, if you bring a president of hockey operations in for the Blackhawks, Scotty has lost his, his influence at that point. 
And that's that's probably an important step for the Blackhawks to take if they want to move forward. But one of the, the, the I guess the central question for me is, where do the Blackhawks think they are right now? Do they think they can do what the Penguins did and have another run in them? Can they, you know, support the core players with uh, better depth forwards and still be a cup contender? I don't think they can because I think they've given too much away. I think it was uh, Eric Tuhacek who pointed out that that draft where they moved Nicholas Chalmerson and Artemi Panarin in the same year, that was where they really went wrong. That's where Stan Bowman blew it because you had two more difference makers on the roster than you have right now. You just don't have enough now. I don't think they can build this thing back up, but I'm not sure if they're willing to admit that it's over at this point. It does not seem like they're willing to admit that. No, they don't. And and, and I think the Penguins comparison somewhat makes – I get the comp there, but A, do you believe that Jonathan Taves can be as productive as Evgeny Malkin? No, I don't either. As Craig Shakey said, I realize it's not a video podcast. But no, I don't been, think so. Uh, no. And not from an offensive standpoint. Where are the. Well, Malkin's not a top 100 player anyway, so I don't know why you brought him up. I mean, Taves where... is a, a great two way player, right? Sure. So you can acknowledge the other things that he brings to the table, but yeah, for, for that money, he's not putting up the points he needs to put up. But if you want to copy that formula, and look, Kane is still producing at as high a level as you can expect him to produce. Uh, he's still an elite talent. But you're not going to you're not getting Evgeny Malkin and Taves. You also where are these nine hundred and sixty seven thousand dollar wingers that you stick on the side that score thirty goals that the Penguins seem just to pull out of their behinds every year and yeah, turn into Jake, no Jake Gensel, Gensel and turn into Brian Rust and turn into all like those guys aren't there now. It could have been Panera, not at that price. But it could have been Panarin at some point. But the, they don't have all these. I think sometimes we people forget about the the auxiliary winger, young wingers that have really progressed strongly. Because I know, look, we can laugh at everything they've done on their blue line uh, at both cities. But 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 in this case, Pittsburgh, we can laugh at them for all the things that have happened there. But they've been able to turn over complementary pieces for their two star centers at a pretty aggressive rate without giving up a lot of capital or cap space. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and when you look at the Blackhawks farm system, they've got nothing coming either, by the way. There's nothing. There are no solutions there. So this would have to be done through trades, which, you know, it's fair to say Stan Bowman hasn't managed those that well. And what do they have aside from draft capital? Like, I mean, what do you, you know, you can't move. I mean, you're handcuffed. It's an option this year, by the way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can move Keith on that contract, but. You could move Kane if if you're really willing to admit it. You could move Kane, but if you yeah, if you're, if you're going, if you're talking about, do they still think that they're a cup contender? Obviously, yeah. you need to keep Patrick Kane. And no, you're not. You're not. You, first of all, you got contracts you can't move, right? Brent Seabrook's contract's not going anywhere. Yeah. Jonathan Tate's contract isn't going anywhere. So you're you're in a big world of hurt there. Yeah the the only the only chance you can move a deal like that is some sort of weirdness with Seattle eventually. Because yeah. they'll have the cap space to make it. If in theory, they'll have the cap space to make that happen. But they could be the Seattle Seabrooks. Have they announced their name yet? By the way, no, who no. cares? Does anyone care? Maybe I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, Craig, uh, you don't have your giant bell with you, which is uh, disheartening. But let's get into some of these listener questions. And I applaud. I'm sure you guys do as well. The listeners who wrote in. We got a lot. Actually, a, a pretty good chunk of questions here. So we'll try and get to as many of them as possible. Thanks, everybody, continuing to, uh, to listen through all this. And we'll keep doing shows. I just don't know that we're going to do them every week right now. But um, let's start with Mike. This is such a complicated question. How does the draft memo affect the Hall trade conditions? Okay, so this is something I'm really interested in, in seeing. Uh, this, uh, they didn't use this word, but essentially the league arbitration 
uh, element to determining what these conditional draft picks end up being. Uh, I am fascinated by what, if these teams can't work out something, which I imagine is going to happen more often than not, especially early on because nobody wants to set a precedent they're going to get laughed at for. I am fascinated by what the league thinks is a middle ground here and whether that changes based on where the records are. Like, let's say you don't play a postseason. Is our conditional picks traded by Boston, who's clearly going to make the playoffs, uh, different than conditional draft picks by, let's say, Arizona, who's a bubble team? Do they look at that differently? Is, are all conditions looked at the same? I'm, just, I'm fascinated by what this potential middle ground would be that the league office would say, you either get it on your own or you take our solution. Yeah, in short, Mike, we have no idea at this point. Um, and, and let's let that another piece here for Arizona in particular. There are a lot of GMs that are really mad at the Coyotes about the, the potential uh, fitness testing of draft prospects. What are the potential punishments if there are going to be punishments from the league? Could they come down a little harder in this area to punish the Coyotes if they're trying to mitigate costs uh, for an owner who just took over a trouble franchise and is facing massive losses in all of his other businesses. I don't know. I'm just speculating at this point, but just throwing it out there. Is this another potential way to punish the Coyotes if they're going to punish the Coyotes? I almost feel like you have to look at it, and if we don't play out the rest of the season, it just needs to be that you met the condition if you were a playoff team, and if you weren't, then you weren't. But the problem with that is, and let me amend that, if you weren't in a playoff spot, then it should be a, it should be counted as if you weren't in the playoffs. What's tough is to say, okay, Boston made a pick, but they were clearly going to make the playoffs. Well, that's great, but they they never actually got to play in the playoffs. So how sure. are you going to punish them for that? But but then you also have the issues of not every condition is just make the playoffs. There are conditions about getting to the conference finals, or conditions about percentage of games played, or sometimes just a number of games played. So I, I get why this is this is complicated because it's not even if you said okay if you you're in playoff position or you play a position based on points percentage you're in or you're out. There's still other complicated matters because winning a championship, advan- winning a playoff round, getting to the conference finals, playoff games, play. I mean, all these things go. You have to wipe those conditions. out. Don't you have to wipe those out? There's no way to say, oh, this team would have won two rounds of the playoffs. No, but that's but but I understand there being that concern there of because somebody is getting. I mean, somebody's going to get screwed one way or the other here. I mean, yep, there's yeah. just I don't think there's an easy. There isn't easy, but. It, whatever you can do to make the most of it as uniform as possible. It's not going to be across the board and you can't do anything about playoff rounds, but you're going to have to figure out what you're doing for what the cutoffs for playoffs or not playoffs are. Because my, my thing is, is I know everyone's talking about, you know, Oh, you know, you, you know, the Jersey should get the first round pick and all the other stuff. But to me, if they expand the postseason to 24 teams and I'm the 24th team in, I'm not sure that's a fair for me to give up my pick as if I made the playoffs because I, I mean, I know I technically, I guess I did, but that's not the top 16. So I think there's some, there's some level of unfairness there as well. If, you know, two thirds of the league makes the playoffs, then that's also a concern if you use that formula. So I, I just don't know if there's, there's an easy way to, I, I guess that's kind of why they're saying figure it out on your own or we'll figure it out on a case by case basis in this potential proposal. But uh, there are a lot of people going to be unhappy. Yeah, I just I don't see how you can punish a team. Maybe punish isn't the right word, but treat a team like they made the playoffs. And it's, it's like it's like taxing somebody for a job, but they're not getting paid from that job. It's just like you can't go but, to a team and say you have to give this up because you got to be in the playoffs. Well, I didn't get to be in the playoffs. There were no playoffs. But conversely, New Jersey was trading Taylor Hall on the uh, predicated on 
their mind of maybe let's say they had a 70% chance that the Kyries were going to make the playoffs. And that was enough to push them into making the deal of uh, uh, trading away Taylor Hall for the package they traded him away for. If you were told them, okay, there's no chance the Kyries make the playoffs, then what would the package be? Or if there's a 20% chance in their mind, then what would the package be? So I understand the, the argument from the other side saying, yeah, we traded Taylor Hall to a team that was in a playoff position. We expect them to make the playoffs. We were essentially basically banking on a 75% chance of getting a first round pick. So I, I get where this is where it becomes complicated. It's easy from the Coyotes' perspective to say, well, we didn't get the, if this happens, oh, we didn't get to play in the postseason, so we shouldn't give up uh, one of our picks that we said we had to play in the postseason for. But Jersey's like, we wouldn't have made that trade if we didn't think you had a good chance of making the postseason. And now this – so I don't know. It's it just it, – this is going to be a mess. People are going to be very unhappy, and this is going to be a field day for those uh, – league conspiracy theorists i believe well it it goes back though to what you said earlier in that there's not going to be any perfect solutions and i just feel like in that specific scenario if you make the coyotes pay like they were in the playoffs you're screwing them over a 10 on a scale of one to 10 whereas the other way you're screwing new jersey over a seven on a scale of one to 10 and so i don't know if there's a way to meet in the middle but I just, there's not going to be any perfect solutions, but it's just, and there's not any way like the league could have prepared for this or teams could have prepared for this. This is just something that happened, but it's going to be such a headache. And we've seen in the past, sometimes teams or, you know, the league and players in this league can't necessarily negotiate things out. Yeah. And there's, I mean, there's, there's no solution you could think of that doesn't have a hole in it. But I, I almost wonder if, let's say you end up canceling the season, do you almost just do, a clean draft in 2020 and then everything else involves 2021 record and season and, and picks. But then even that becomes, you know, you, you traded, like I said, Jersey traded Taylor Hall expecting Arizona to be better. Taylor Hall may or may not resign with Arizona. So now you're, you're doing picks for seasons that weren't expected. So I, I don't know. It's just, it's a mess. Uh, here's Murdoch's question. There's three of them. First one's tough. In your opinion, what movie sequel is better than its prequel? Oh, I got one. Okay. Aliens. I've never seen Aliens. Okay. Or Aliens 2. That's definitely uh, my... Terminator 2 is probably better than Terminator yeah. 1. Yeah. I, I would pick that one as well. Yeah, I'd throw that right in there. Um, I, I know some people like Godfather 2 more than Godfather 1. They're both pretty even, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, that's about... I yeah. don't know. Is the second Harold and Kumar as good as the first Harold <laughs> and Kumar, Jamie? <laughs> I actually no. have not seen. Okay. Most brutal. Um, tater tots or regular French fries? This is easy. Tots. No regular French fries. Oh. It's so oh, it's very fries. easy to mess up tots. Yeah. No. I, I'm, I'm assuming tots, talking, really. Yes, I'm assuming we're talking oh. about good tater tots. Good tots versus good yeah, they're, fries. They're a good change of pace, potato. <laughs> they're not they're not the everyday potato that's the name of this episode change of pace potato um craig excluding the blackhawks which other nhl team would you like to cover besides the coyotes vancouver so i could live in vancouver <laughs> had nothing to do with the team i had a feeling that might be your answer you don't want to cover louis erickson in perpetuity <laughs> I, you know, I've always wondered why, like, when, when I when I think about the the hate spewing toward the Coyotes from Canada, and it, it, granted, it's come from a lot of different directions. I think there's an undue amount of hate toward the Coyotes emanating from Vancouver, and I've always wondered why that is. Yeah, that is weird. But and then I and I agree with you. But also, I kind of think Vancouver just hates everybody. 
Yeah, I think that's true too. I think Thomas Trance, they're a writer out there, totally. They pretty much hate everyone, but I'm an insider. I'm from here, so it kind of accepted me. <laughs> uh, our buddy, Carl. So provincial. Carl uh, Putnam writes in, thoughts on how the NWHL used guests and social media to conduct their draft earlier this week. I'd personally love to see the NHL try to do some combo of NWHL in 2020. NFL draft, maybe have hockey current and former players announce the selections along with a few surprises. Um, I thought the NFL draft, all things considered, did a pretty decent job. Uh, and, and I do think you have to get kind of innovative if you're going to be the NHL and you're going to do the draft in late June. You have to find different ways to make this entertaining because you just don't have the typical resources you would no- normally have. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Uh, although I, I can't comment on the NFL draft because I didn't watch it. <laughs> but no, no, I, 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 I can't because I, 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 I spent 15 hours a day working on them all three days. Um, I thought they did a great job. Uh, I, I, you have to get creative. You have to, especially with these virtual drafts, you're not going to have the same pageantry and glitz and glamour you had before. No, even, you know, which is still scaled back for hockey compared to the NBA and the NFL. But uh, I, I'm excited to see what they can do and, and using the, you know, using the, the virtual things that the NFL did with having going into players' homes and seeing them with their families. All that. I thought that was cool. It was a nice touch. Now, uh, it is also a league that sometimes can't get their NHL award show on the TV in their, you know, newsroom in Vegas. So I'm a little concerned about them operating 30 different Zoom calls at the same time. But uh, if they can do it, that's the way to do it. Can we just make local artists maybe sing a little jingle about each traffic? So if it's someone, you know, if it's Chicago's traffic, find somebody from Chicago. What do you think? I I like that, but that's, that just opens the door for Nickelback to be singing about one of these teams. So yeah, that's uh, uh, can we all make the pact right now that we're going to the award show in 2021 as a podcast? Wouldn't that be great? We've never actually all gone to Vegas. All three of us haven't gone at the same time. Uh Uh-uh. Um, uh, uh, to be determined. I don't know if I can make that. <laughs> it's, it's 15 months away. Well, see, now maybe it'll be cooler if they keep if they keep pushing pushing the seasons and parts back. Maybe the the NHL awards next year will be like in you know October November. or something. <laughs> uh, Alex, awards. Alex writes in, "Who would you want to be a quarantine buddy with in any pro sports?" Jamie's is probably from the Yankees. Uh, I've gotten versions of this question. I got yelled at at one point on the air here for uh, for not picking Alex Morgan. I don't think Alex Morgan is my answer, but I don't know what my answer is, which is funny since I've been asked this question multiple times. So I'll let you guys answer and stay instead. Go ahead, Jamie. Mm-hmm. Does that have to be an active athlete? No, I would say no. Uh, I think an interesting name, just uh, Nick Swisher, would be a fun, just a cool, just like quirky. You would want to punch him in the face after like three hours, though. Probably, but you know, we'll see. But yeah, I think Nick Swisher would be would be would be a fun one. That's a name I haven't brought up on the show before. Thankfully, uh, Craig, do you have one, or do you want me to move on to Dangle Snipe Belly's questions? I think we'll move on. Is there a better pasta sauce than Bolognese? I think there are a lot of pasta sauces better than Bolognese. Uh, I, I like it, but I think they're a lot better than that, actually including the uh, marinara that I just made this week, which oh, was fantastic. Nice humble brag there. Yeah. Um, hearing Luke give news updates makes me wonder about his normal voice. Is it normally podcast levels of upbeat or COVID update introducing Jamie levels of sorrow or somewhere in between? That's a good question. That I, don't, I, I have my answer, but it's probably better if you guys answer. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty much there's the um, there is there is a subtle difference between your your podcast voice and like your Coyotes pre and post game show voice. Like your pre and post game show, it's very formal, it's very professional, and then on this show is more of the you seem more excited. You know, you seem more like yeah, I get to talk about the penguins type of excitement where it's like, oh, it's I get to talk that. about the, yeah. the But yeah, there, there is a subtle difference I've noticed, but uh, you, you can, you can kind of tell when Luke gets really excited about things, particularly on, on this radio broadcast, he goes from the like straight newsman. You start to see he gets a little bit into podcast mode. I, I just like that his, his version at one end of the spectrum was introducing Jamie levels of sorrow. I hopefully I'm not consistently there, although we definitely hit it in the first five seconds. Yeah, of, the Coyotes uh, lost their fifth game in a row, and I'm joined by Jamie Eisner here. So I, 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 Where do I, I sit at, in all this, by the way? I, I just know I was at that level in, 20, in the 2014-15 season a lot. I had that effect on people. <laughs> uh, best Tom Cruise movie that isn't Top Gun. I um I Movie like the questions. Mission Impossible's. I I have no problem admitting that they're not like my favorite movies of all time, but and I actually haven't seen all of them. But the newer ones are pretty good. Hmm. I have a few thoughts on this. Actually, I'm a big Collateral fan. First of all, I think that's a great movie with Jamie Fox. If you haven't seen, it, you should watch it. Uh, I'm a big Michael Mann film uh, fan as well. Um, but he has a few. Have you guys seen Edge of Tomorrow? No, I've not. You're not movie guys, are you? No, I'm really not. Like I'm looking through some of this, like, eh. <laughs> Risky business, I'm sure, is one that a lot of people would say. Um, Minority Report's another good movie. Yeah, I never saw that one either. Those, those would be my. That one looked good. It was. Just, I I'm not a big sci-fi guy, but uh, but Minority Report. I mean, I've it's been out forever, and I've heard a lot of good things. I just haven't. Who knows? I'm running out of things to watch. I watched a special on the Detroit Red Wings this morning, so maybe we're not that far from Minority Report. Um, Booper. If you all weren't writers, reporters, what career would you be in? Was this career always the goal, or did it just happen? Um, I think I would be a teacher. Uh, that was what I kind of thought I was going to be. Uh, I don't know what level, but I used to, as a, as a kid, I would come home uh, and teach a fake class uh, based on whatever I learned in school that day. Um, so I think that's the path I was going to go. Uh, and uh, no, I was, so I don't know when it kind of fully switched over. I think it's once uh, my athletic career ended in high school because I kind of sucked uh, that I decided like, I wanted to stick around sports in some capacity and try to figure out how I could do that. And that's how this career came about. What what subject would you have taught? Because I don't think sarcasm with mixed with disdain is an actual subject. I don't see. I always thought I would teach either math or social studies. Okay. Are you good at those? Yeah, I was always I was always an A student in those categories. So I always thought that's what I would teach. Probably either middle school or high school level. That's a that's a really good answer, and probably not one I expected from Jamie. But can you imagine Jamie as your teacher? Like you walk into class and, and going back to the previous question, I'm wondering how you would manage these levels of sorrow that we were just talking about. Would you convey those to your students? Would you bring everyone down with you, Jamie? Probably. Give give, give them a better idea of how the real world works real quick. What would you do if, if like somebody walked in with one of your students walked in wearing like a Colorado Avalanche jersey? Would you just give them an F on the spot or what? Uh, yeah, I would say, well, we're going to have like six of us going to go have a pizza party and you're just you're going to be maybe the sixth person we invite. 
Uh, Craig, what would you have done? I feel like this, I feel like you were always on this path. Uh, no, I, I actually had a job in finance uh, right out of college that I bailed on because I got cold feet. I was really hoping you were going to say you actually had a job at Cirque du Soleil before this. You know about. <laughs> yes, and you should have seen my tights. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> no, I was actually going to go work for Goldman Sachs in New York. I had an apartment picked out with three friends. Oh, wow. And I never worked a day. Craig would, be, Craig would have so much more money right now if he had done I that. So, I would have been so horrible at the job, though. Just so horrible. No interest in it whatsoever. <laughs> I don't know. I, I would have gone and like tried to be an actor or something. Like I need, I can't sit in an office. You need so, the attention. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's it. <laughs> I tell you though, if I had to do one of, of your two uh, hypothetical jobs, I would have gone more towards teacher than uh, I, I just, I wouldn't be able to sit in an investment firm. I just, there's no way. But that's a good question from Booper who always chimes in with good questions. Um, okay. Coach East Jack. As a fan, where's your favorite spot to sit in the arena for a hockey game? So that's interesting because this has changed um, throughout my sports fandom life. Um, I would say prior to covering the team, I always, you know, everybody always loves, let's say hockey, for example, and we'll go a couple different sports, but because Craig ran away to go get his, his cord, they doesn't know we're telling everybody about this. Uh, Everyone likes, you know, what's the typical, like 10 to 15 rows up on the, you know, center ice type of thing. But to me, I kind of like being over the the goalie. I like kind of being on that second, like sweet concourse level uh, over one of the goals. Uh, I like the almost video game view uh, of it. Uh, I also really enjoyed the press box view. I liked the fact that I could just kind of like almost zone out and see the entire ice and all the things that are happening because I like to see plays manifest and I like to see things, try to anticipate what's going on. Um, so you that, do that, zone out a lot, yeah. Uh, so that that's for hockey. For some of the other sports like baseball, I think there's nothing like being behind the catcher. Uh, I think that's always the place you want to be, be able to legitimately see balls and strikes and kind of that perspective, almost like the batter's perspective. So those would be my two. And for football is the clear, you know, 50 yard line, you know, 20 rows up type of thing. I think, um, yeah, you go, you go Luke. I would say for hockey and Jamie alluded to it, you know, at practice, we always sit about what, 15 rows up at center ice, typically behind the penalty box uh, side, just because you get a better, I don't know, you get it. That's your best view of the ice. But to your point, Jamie, of liking to sit, behind the goal or maybe even a little bit up behind the goal. I like that more for power plays than anything because you can yeah. watch the power play develop and, and you can just, you can, I don't know. It, like you said, it's like a video game view. I used to do that when I was playing video games. If I was on the power play, I would switch the view to that angle. So, you know, and a lot of the arenas now, there's not really a bad seat. This is not like the old, uh, when the coyotes played downtown. And if you sat in a certain area, you couldn't even see a third of the ice. I mean, for the most part now, there's no obstructive viewing, so there's not a bad seat. But I, I still, if if you're telling me I had season tickets and I have to sit in one seat all year, I'm still going with the traditional, not right on the glass, probably about probably about 10 rows up where you can see the whole ice and still be close. I would go a little higher than that. Um, I do like to see everything develop, and that's probably just because I've been doing this for so long that I, I think I see the game that way now. Um, the, the press boxes at MSG and at Nassau Coliseum are actually the perfect height. They're, they're not too high like the nosebleeds that we get in most arenas now. So they offer a really good view of the entire ice, but you're close enough that you can actually appreciate it. Um, as far as the other sports, I, I'm, I'm not a live football guy at all. Actually, I don't think there's a good seat in the entire stadium. It's just too big a field to watch. But 
for the NBA, man, I'll, I'll be courtside any day. I think that's, yeah. that's the best place to be for the NBA and, and for baseball because I grew up in Chicago. I, I want to be in the bleachers. Your bleacher guy? Yeah. Yeah, I haven't really sat behind home plate a ton. I'm not as bougie as Jamie, but yeah, that that seems like that would be that, I'm that always is, on the first level. But it, it, it's <laughs> I don't it, it's a good it's a nice again. I think it's more about I think it's what you watch the game for. Uh, I like to watch sports and anticipate, and I think for me, it's finding the best spots in the arena to do that. And that's being able to see the whole field or seeing the key action happening at the same time. So that's that's why I kind of default to those areas. Um, with, with baseball, I'm, I'm really not even paying attention to the game. So I want more of the experience, the ambiance. That's why I'm in the bleachers. <laughs> I'm going to skip. So there's a lot of draft questions. So we, we appreciate you guys sending in the questions, but I, I feel like we addressed a lot of the drafts uh, already. So although Adam Banks, and he has a picture of Adam Banks from the Mighty Ducks Adam movie. Adam Banks has some good questions. We, we have to ask these. He threw in one of them. Thoughts for a new draft lottery. Just the bottom four teams are the only ones eligible. Worst record gets 35%. Second worst, 30%. Third, 24th, 15. Everyone else is 5 through 32 based on record. I mean, I, I'm, I'm fine with that. I get, to me, is uh, I, it's finding the balance between not allowing outright tanking and also not allowing teams that miss the playoffs by one point to pick top three. Right. Like I just, it shouldn't even be an option. It shouldn't even be a one percent option because we're seeing all these small percentages. It doesn't really even matter right now. Uh, but to me, I think that would be perfectly fine. Let the bottom bottom teams hammer it out, and then anybody else can just slot where they need to. Uh, we got to read Chris's question. It's yeah, we have to read this. Have you guys seen this one from Chris Blythe? No. <laughs> Hopefully I got his name right. One of those. No question. Just want to say how appreciative I am of your podcast. UK born and bred Coyotes fan. So your pod is invaluable and keeps me company on my morning runs along the English coast. Wow. Oh, for the, oh, for the record, hot, hot dogs should have equal mustard to ketchup ratio. Cheers, chaps. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to argue with Chris having ketchup on his hot dog. You guys know my stance on that. I believe no. Chris is in the corner, but he's listening from England, so he can do whatever he wants. I very much appreciate him. Thank yeah, very much appreciate him listening and, and being a big fan, but I don't take food advice from the Brits. Yeah, well, with that. <laughs> oh, Jamie's the worst. Uh, I hope you know that across the globe. That's a fair point, though, Jamie. I, I think I'm on board with that, actually. I, 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 yeah, I'm on board with that opinion. However, I will allow ketchup across the pond. Don't bring that to North America with you, but you can eat ketchup on your hot dogs across the pond. Chris, I just, and I've done this numerous times over the last, I don't know, seven years I've known Jamie. I'd just like to apologize on behalf of Jamie and just know that all Americans are not like Jamie Eisner. Please continue to listen and write in. Uh, Todd. Well, absolutely. Phoenix. A lot of things I like about England, just food, food choices are not one I'm going to listen to. They've got to. some fish and chips. That's good. They've got some food. That's some, that's some good food. That's nice. Uh, they got one. Todd in Phoenix. What's the best Mark Wahlberg movie? Hold your nose and pick one. This is easy. The Departed. He's not in it a lot, but that's that's a, yeah. an all-time classic. Okay. Well, what about Ted? Ted is probably number two. <laughs> yeah. Ted, Ted, that was a good one. Uh, what's the mo- the worst movie I've ever seen that I walked out on? It's the oh. only movie I've ever walked out on. Had Mark Wahlberg in it, and I can't remember the name of the movie now. It had The Rock in it, I think, even for a little bit. Oh, no. I, you have to get that doesn't narrow it down anymore. It was about some like gym owner in the 90s. I, I can't believe I can't think of the name. It's the worst movie I've ever seen. And I walked out. But uh, The Departed is great. And Ted is uh, is good. You guys prefer Ted 1 or Ted 2? 1. Okay. Well, I, to- I, I might also go with, if we're talking about worst, worst Mark Wahlberg movies, you can go with the uh, Daddy's Home sequels. <laughs> well, 
you just admitted that you've watched those. those. So just so you, you know, know, you don't have kids. So, uh, pain or gain. That was the movie and it was horrendous. I advise you do not go watch it except Jamie, Jamie, you should go watch that movie. It's good. And it's worth your time. Um, Greg writes in, Oh no. <laughs> well, I already said his name. <laughs> I'll just say Rose responded to his question with, Oh boy. Greg, and this is Greg who uh, who gave us he gave us our bingo card a couple of years ago. So Greg gets he gets his question read. I'm sorry, Craig, in advance. Not sure if this was covered before I started listening in 2017, but what's the oh. story with John Scott? I've heard a few jokes about his All Star appearance and how the Coyotes weren't happy about it, and maybe some players. Any more to it or a question mark, Craig? Well, they can lay out on this one. <laughs> There's plenty more to it. Uh, there were a number of Coyotes who felt that he should have passed on that and given it to someone who actually deserved to be in the All Star game instead of this gimmick that was driven by certain media members out there. Um, beyond that, there's, there's this narrative that John Scott is this great guy and great teammate. Not sure that was the opinion here. In fact, I, I'm actually sure it was not the opinion here. And let's, let's, let's leave it at that. Uh, sometimes uh, images get marketed. They get crafted in a certain way and they're not necessarily true. Is that movie uh, coming along? Uh, yeah. yeah. How is that movie coming along? <laughs> Greg, I apologize that Jamie deleted all of our episodes like zero through 100 because you could have gone back and listened to the John Scott Chronicles. At one point, I believe Craig <laughs> just threw up his arms and, and walked out of the studio. Uh, another one from Adam Banks. Who is your all-time Coyotes lineup? And will the Coyotes draft pick number be higher or lower than the number of Jamie's wives? Ooh, I like the second one. That's a really well, tough question, actually. I, I, I would think say it's, it'll it's be, gonna be higher. Huh. No, because they're not going to have that first-round pick, I don't think. Well, how many wives do you have right now first? I need that variable. Well, if, if they don't have first-round pick, that means I have fewer than 31 wives. Oh, okay. So, I mean, I think this is a pretty easy question. So this determines whether or not you think they have to give up that first-round pick or not. But, do we know this definitively? Well, how many uh, wives will you have by the end of June? Well, luckily, this is slowing down the process of, uh, <laughs> of, of the, the nuptials. So I can't go visit what, any of them. If, why do you keep agreeing? Uh, you know, sometimes it's just crippling loneliness. Um, other times it's just the need to feel wanted. Uh, but I, usually it's, it's usually for the money. I'm so glad that we're wasting precious bandwidth <laughs> with everything that's going on answering these questions. It's amazing. Uh, all time coyotes lineup. Craig has done a story on this. I so. have actually, but so I should ask you guys, but I, I, I think we, well, we, we obviously had Shane Doan on that. Keith Kachuk. Uh, Jeremy Roenick, I think Oliver Ekman, Larson, Keith Yandel, and the goalie mm. is a really tough one. Yeah. You could go a number of ways here. You really could. You could pick Hobby Boone. You could pick Sean Burke. You could pick Mike Smith. What do you guys think? To Hobby Boone was my first my oh, first wow. instinctual reaction, but it's tough because there is an era difference. Like I saw somebody talking on Twitter about how Grant Fear wasn't very good because of his save percentage uh, yesterday. <laughs> of And like you can use save percentage of anything more than – seven years ago to determine the worth of a goalie. Um, but it, I would go Hobby Bulin, but it, it is interesting because I think that's really the only one that I think you have to think extremely hard about to get to the answer. I think that the two that jump out to me are Sean Burke, because not only was he a decent goalie, but then what he did for future Coyotes goalies as the goalie coach for a little bit in there. But I don't know how you can go for a team that doesn't have much of a playoff history. I don't know how you can't pick Mike Smith because – I mean, they're showing the replays of some of these games right now at Fox Sports Arizona. And that well, somebody's year... Somebody's writing about them, too. Oh, well, good. <laughs> we should find that guy and get him on the show. 
Um, the, the, the job Mike Smith did in the Coyotes' biggest year, I, I think that's yeah. got to be my answer. Watch game six against Chicago. It's just uh, unbelievable. And game, and game four in the second round against Nashville. I mean, yeah. that's, that's a one nothing game that gets how they held on to for, at that point, it was like 50 minutes of holding on to that. Um, the real Pletch writes in, uh, he's, I'll just say he's angry about the NHL's idea of having the draft before the end of the regular season and or playoffs. Um, we've, we've discussed it, but he's angry. So, and I know he writes into the show a lot. I just want to make sure that his, his comments got out there. Joseph writes in, should I paint the beams in my ceiling gray or keep it this ugly brown? I don't know if you guys can see it. So you're just going to have to answer sight unseen. Well, I have seen it. And Joseph, here's what I would say. Uh, you know, no, I'm not a fan of gray wall paint anywhere. Um, but I think there are some warmer tones in your floor, looking at your floor, which looks to have some gray and maybe some brown tones in it. So you might want to pick something a little warmer from that to, to, to paint your beams. Warmer tones. Wow. Yeah, That's yeah, the name of, isn't that the name of the album you collaborated with the other Craig Morgan on? <laughs> Got a few football helmets in this picture too, Joseph. I can't tell what they are though. So yeah, I, I agree with Craig because I don't understand what he said. Um, hold on. I'm getting rid of the picture. Sarah writes in, should I get back into the writing game when this is over? I would say this. While this is going on, if you like to write, you may as well be writing now because there's plenty of time to write. Yeah, Um, I think it's a good outlet anyway. I like writing. Eric, who are the top five captains in the league based off skill, leadership, and representative of their franchise? This is a really good question. Yeah. So talk, yeah, we're about to get cut off in less than a minute here from this from this oh, call. No. I don't know if we're going to be able to answer all th- okay. that d- in-depth of question. Can we pretend to answer next time? And you're right. Zoom's going to cut us off here. So we're going to have to answer some of these questions next time. We'll do another show here within the next week or two. Is that fair, guys? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I actually do want to answer this question next time. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paste this into our show notes for next time. I will just – I'll give you a sampling. Sidney Crosby is one of my answers. Shocking. (laughs) All right. That's going to do it for us. Uh, Thanks to everybody out there listening. Stay safe. Stay smart out there. And um, rate and review if you want. But this was uh, these episodes. Be gentle with the ratings because we're all over the the city. Craig, any final thoughts? You have about nine seconds. I got nothing, but I'm sure Jamie does. Jamie, Jamie, I can't believe they haven't cut us off yet. We actually used to have a minute. Do we still have a full minute? I think you do, so please stop doing that. All right, for Craig Morgan and Jamie Eisner, I'm Luke Lipinski. Thanks for listening to the Natural Hattrick Podcast. Stay inside.